Hi, I'm Robin. I'm Molly. And this is... <laughs> and this is... Host Where the Murder Is! Oh, golly. We should technically cut that out, but I am so nope. tired that we're Don't. not going to. Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare. Oh. I would never want you to. Yeah. So Kay. today is Tuesday. Sorry. Yeah, we're a little late getting this out. Only one person said anything to me, though. And, and it was your sister. It was my sister, yeah. <laughs> I knew so, it. Yeah, she was like, hi, uh, hello, it's Tuesday. I still have not heard an episode this week. I'm like, sorry, I had doctor's appointments yesterday, and they ran That's on. why. we had Robin had doctor's appointments, but yeah. they went good. Yeah, we're just trying to figure out what's wrong with my heart. And I don't mean that in the context of that I don't love people. I mean in the fact that <laughs> there's something wrong with my heart, so... She's not the Grinch. No, I do love people. I just don't like some people. But that's okay. That's just a people thing. Yeah. So how was your week last week? Well, I love working 12-hour days, 13, 14-hour days. Yeah, you were you were pretty done by the end Listen, of last week. Listen, my body literally shut down <laughs> Saturday. Yeah. By the end of the day Saturday, it literally like stopped i couldn't get off the couch um i got a migraine i get migraines and as i've said before i got a migraine and i just me and the kids watched three christmas movies i didn't watch them so much i just had my eyes (laughs) shut there were three christmas movies on and i didn't do much and i needed to just stop yeah. i had to stop doing yeah everything it's been a lot lately so it's been a lot it's a very it's a busy season yeah and it's a hard season too for me because this time of year is when my mom was sick and then we lost her on december mm-hmm. 1st so um it's a hard time of year for yeah. me so yeah and i think my body knows that too yeah and that's part of it even if you know my mind obviously knows it too but i think my body senses that too and it tries to get me to slow down but unfortunately yeah. there's just so much going on and I can't yeah so and you're a people pleaser remember I'm That's... a people pleaser <laughs> to so. my core so and I'm um, over here it's just funny because like you're a people pleaser and you're super stressed out I'm over here telling people to fuck off and I'm stressed out so yeah it's just like there's no winning I'm like, I I so much want to be like no way I won't do that but I'm like but I'll do that yeah. for you. <laughs> it's tough. Like it's yeah. hard. Yeah, that's it's why just, we have each other. We just vent yeah. to one another. I, so yeah, I feel like we can't win per se, but that's why we have our podcast because yeah. this is where we come and we know we're talking to people that are probably feeling the same way we are. I shared a meme yesterday on Instagram, and it, well, it went on to my Facebook too, and it's very much me. It's like I'm a very independent person, and I will not do what people want me to do. Blah blah blah. But I need to know why you're mad at me. Right. Like, like yeah. it's very much like. But I need yeah. to like make sure everyone's happy with me all the yeah. time, and like I can't not be like. Yeah. Like I need to make sure everyone's okay. Like yeah. that's very much me. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not me. I know. I, I always say that right. you either love me or you hate me. There is no in between. And I can't not be yeah. okay with that. I need yeah. to make sure everyone likes and me. Like, and I like, I, I'm not okay <laughs> with like not. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to be like, whatever. Like, I don't care if you don't like me. I have plenty of people that do. Yeah. But I'm like, but what if they don't like me? Yeah. That's, I feel bad for you because I, I can't know. imagine going through life like that. I oh, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. It's well, you're sorry. So it's okay. <laughs> it's who I am. Yeah. Well, and as much as I'd like to change it, it's just who I am, and that's yeah. fine. Well, 
You're doing all right. It's fine. I think things will get better. It's just a busy And time. just sometimes my body shuts down on it, me. Good for your body, though. You, did, I was telling you to rest. I know, but you know, I, I really physically couldn't. I, I know. I, 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 like, I, know. I had to work. Like, I couldn't. I know. I, I was there. Couldn't. I saw the whole thing happening, so. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're okay. Yeah. It, it's always exciting for me when I come into town to see you still standing upright. So. I did it. Yeah, good job. Yep. And now you're being real goofy today, and I love that. I miss I miss the side of you. Well, I think that it's like my overcompensation for like how <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. To it. like how things actually are. It's like my body is like yeah. still like struggling, but on the outside, I have to be like woo a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't really remember what the last couple of weeks were. I feel like there were things I wanted to talk about, but I can't tell you what I did the past couple of weeks. It's kind of, oh, we had Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. That's what yeah. we did. See, and I, I hope forgot. everyone talked about that murder around oh, their table. Yeah. yeah. I I don't remember too much from Thanksgiving. I wasn't drinking or anything. I don't think I think I had a, a drink. I just think I blacked it out. Yeah. Um. I love Thanksgiving with my family. I think I have the funniest family You got a ever. couch. I did. I went Black Friday shopping and I got a couch and yep. I'm really I, very excited. I don't know if anybody else loves furniture shopping, but it is my favorite thing to do. I sat my little tushy on so many couches. I took my shoes off. I got snuggled in. And the one I ended up settling on was I, I had my face like in the couch, like and the lady was looking at me like, what are you doing? And I go, I'm going to do this when I buy the couch. I need to make sure that you got to get in for, there. Ready for all things that Robin's going to bring to you it. You know what you're going to do there. You so, got to get yeah. right in there. Yep. So I'm pretty pumped about the fact that I, I got it. And, you know, it's just going to be delivered in a couple of weeks. And I'm not prepared for it at all. Haven't cleaned my house. Haven't gotten you ready. You got time. Couch. No, I'm sure. I'm sure things no, will I slow don't. down. No. The holiday season is definitely usually a slow time of year. You're making my heart hurt just <laughs> saying that. Like the stress. Like the, as the doctor put it, you need to stop getting so stressed out. I'm like, oh, Okay. I know it's like that's that's making me stressed you saying that yeah thank you but no so yeah so I did that oh I just said but no I said but no this time instead of yeah 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 no but no yeah no um yeah so yeah I did some Black Friday shopping that was fun oh my god (laughs) I was gonna tell everybody what happened to me on Black Friday should I tell them sure listen I know some dudes that have like wanted to date me listen to this but this will be your guess key to what? Stop, now you know. Stop listening right now. And then I promise I'll get to my murder. But I need to tell you all what happened to me on Black Friday because it is awful. Okay. So as you know, for Thanksgiving, we all eat a ton of food, right? I did that. I did just that. Total did food coma. Tradition. Yep. Traditional Thanksgiving yep. American meal. It was great. Yeah. Um, but then the next day, so Molly stayed at her dad's house with her family. So I naturally stayed at Molly's house with my family. <laughs> with my, Logan. Yeah. yeah. So my, Robin and Logan just slept at my house. No, just yeah. those two. No dog or anything. Nope. Dakota was with them. Yep. But so we, it was great. Um, so we slept at her house and I had to get up super early to go Black Friday shopping because my dad wanted this little... Mo- um, like little uh, motorbike thing. It was like on sale. It was actually a really great price from Blaine's Farm and Fleet. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go get that for you because I'm going shopping in the morning. You guys don't have to worry about it. So I got up at the butt crack of dawn before it was even light out. And, you know, I left the house. No makeup on, nothing, just looking like a train wreck and went to Blaine's Farm and Fleet. And I'm sitting in the parking lot waiting for the doors to open. 
And all of a sudden, my stomach started making this like growling sound, and I was almost like, like a gobble gobble. Yeah, like there was an ins- like the turkey had come alive. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, that's that's not good. I'm yeah. like, listen, and I'm pep talking myself in the car, like you are gonna calm down. We're gonna get in. We're gonna get out. We're gonna be done with this. No big deal. So they open the doors, and I'm on my way in, and I'm right in the doorway and I realize nope this is coming out of me like right now I have to go I have to I have to go to the bathroom so I run to the bathroom and I unleash (laughs) you guys what is the worst thing that's ever come out of me I don't care if this is TMI for anybody it was awful I mean no I am no lady it was the worst (laughs) especially after that you are no lady yep so I'm like okay fine so I I get it out of me and I walk out of the bathroom and I'm like, all right, I got to go find this motorized bike, whatever. They were all gone. They had all gotten scooped up in that amount of time. So I was like, fuck. I'm like, no way am I going to be able to tell my dad that I, the reason he didn't get his motorized bike was because of my bowel movements. You had to poo. Yeah. So I, <laughs> dad, I had to poo. I had to poo. <laughs> so I leave that Blaine's Farm and Fleet. I'm like, okay, I'll find another one in Madison. So I leave the parking lot and I realize oh my God, it's happening again. And I'm like, crap, I'm not going to, literally crap. I'm like, I'm going back to Molly's. Screw my dad's bike. It's not happening. I'm not going. And I'm like, I get back to Molly's house. Well, I can't make it to Molly's house. I make it to the gas station down the street. It's a quick (laughs) trip. And I know the quick trips have like single bathrooms. Yeah. I'm like, that's what I got to do. So I go into it. So I'm like, okay, at least it's a single bathroom. I don't have to worry about anybody walking in here while I'm doing this. And I unleash again for a second time. And it is so bad that I'm almost like gassed out. Like I can't handle it. I'm like, I have to get out of here. So I finish again. I'm washing my hands. I dry them off. I open the door and there's a woman standing there waiting to use the bathroom. No. The worst. I'm like, and we're looking right at each other and I'm like, ma'am <laughs> i am happy thanksgiving <laughs> yeah, I, I left you a plate and i just put my head down and i walked away in shame oh that poor woman oh no and so i get back in the car and i'm totally defeated at this point i'm like you know so i ended up getting i did end up doing a little bit of black friday shopping after that i seemed fine after that after that you were great i was good um but my dad ended up do- still getting his little motorized bike his um girlfriend got it for him so she was able to get it online or whatever but yeah from I, the comfort of her home she yeah, didn't have from the to. comfort of her home but i uh that was my black friday story it was oh. and then i'm like at the furniture store sitting on like white furniture and stuff and molly calls and she's like careful don't want that to cut- happen again <laughs> So, oh. but yeah, so that was, I hope that all of you men out there want to date me She's so single. hard right now. She's single. <laughs> so, Anyone wants to get at that's that. That's my, that's my poop story. Everybody poops. Everybody does poop, which is why I'm okay with talking about it. And maybe you know not what? that hard and, and that much. Yeah. And we talk about really deep shit. <laughs> Literally. That was deep shit. I didn't even mean for that to happen. Um, so it's nice to have a little laugh every now yeah. and then. But that's what I was doing on my Black Friday. Yeah. And I hope you all had just as much fun. Ah, That sounds like a treat. So should we get into some serious we business? Should. We should. <clears throat> okay. So I thought about doing a holiday murder as well because we are just smack dab in the middle of the holiday seasons. But I have decided that I am going to do one from New York. Because we are going to New York on That's December right. 15th. So we are. So 
I am covering the Poughkeepsie Killer. And I love the name Poughkeepsie. Anybody that watches Sex in the fun, City by the name movie, to say. when in the movie, when Charlotte's like, it's she's eating the pudding and she's like, see, made it in Poughkeepsie. I don't, you know, that's that's any, and that's why you did this case. And that's why I did this case because I love Sex in the City. Okay, here we go. Ready? Kendall Francois was born on July 26th, 1971, in Poughkeepsie, New York. Shut up. His mother taught Sunday school at a local Baptist church, and even though they were one of the few black families in town, they lived a modest middle-class life. He was always a big kid, and while attending Arlington High School, he played for the varsity football team. Even though he very well could have had a career in sports, the 250-pound, 6'4", 18-year-old decided to listen to the Army after graduation in 1989. That's a big kid. He's a big kid. By 1990, he had finished basic training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, but due to his obesity, he had been discharged. So he returned home where he attended college at Dutchess County Community College. From 1993 to 1998, he would take liberal arts classes while working at Arlington Middle School as a hall and detention monitor. I did not know that that was an actual job until I did this case. Because I was a hall monitor in middle school. Which, of course, I was not a good one because I wasn't paying attention. You didn't get paid. But, uh, no. Um, in our school, we just had our peers as yeah. the hall monitor. Got so I didn't Cheap. know. Yeah. And then I read somewhere else that he was also a custodian. Okay. But they really emphasized the fact that he was a hall monitor. Yeah. As a career. And okay. it also, he was at, in school for five years from 1993 to 1998 in, at a community college. Those are two-year uh, degree programs. So I don't know what was going on there. Yeah. Maybe he kept on changing what he wanted to do. Maybe. Yeah. But it ended in 1998 for a reason. You'll find out. During his good, t- good reasons, I'm sure. Yeah, the best. Yeah. During his time as the hall monitor, teachers noticed that he would often share inappropriate jokes with the female students while stroking their hair. Oh. My favorite. Remember the time we were at Claire's and that woman started petting my hair? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It was also during this time that staff and students would begin to notice a very strong stench coming from Kendall. It was so bad that he eventually got the nickname Stinky. That's not a name anyone wants to have. Correct. At the time, no one knew why he was a walking walking stink bomb, but they do now. I'm sorry. So I wrote this one out like a week ago. So I'm laughing at my jokes. <laughs> Okay. From 1996 through 1998, Kendall Francois had taken it upon himself to do what he thought was best for the world, killing sex workers. By the time of his arrest, he had gained about 100 more pounds. So he's one big dude, okay? So he was like 300 and some pounds. Yeah. Yikes. So anyone that came across his path really didn't stand much of a chance. No way. At the age of 25, Kendall's first victim was Wendy Myers on October 24th, 1966. 1996. Time travel. Oh, my God. I apologize. 1996. Found the DeLorean. Shut up. She she was working the streets when he pulled up and asked her to accompany him to a motel. After sex, he grabbed her by the throat and crushed her neck. He then cleaned her body in the bathroom, then stuffed her body in a bin. He drove her to his house and put her up in the attic. Upon her disappearance, law enforcement actually questioned Kendall because in the past he had been known for being aggressive towards sex workers. 
So he's already on their radar. And when questioned, he tells them that they had sex, but she went home. Not having anything to go on, police had to stick with their stick their what did i try to say they had to stick to their guns oh i said i love i love old robin she's trying to be so clever they had to stick that in their back pocket until they had more to go on oh so question yeah does he have a house by himself you will find out okay you didn't because you didn't say i know i know i didn't say okay i love that you caught on to that yeah not long after wendy was murdered kendall took the life of 29 year old gina barone He squeezed her neck so hard that a bone broke. In December of 1996, Gina was looking for a drug fix when she crossed paths with Stinky. After getting what he wanted from her, he strangled her in his car and then took her dead body back to his place. He placed her alongside Wendy in the attic. One month later, in January of 1997, Kendall strangled sex worker Kathleen Hurley and put her body in the attic as well. At this point, police had become very suspicious of Kendall Francois as they are investigating a new missing sex worker pretty much every other month. Not wasting too much time, Kendall killed sex worker Catherine Marsh two months after she was also, I'm sorry, two months later. She was also put in the attic of the home. Kathy, as she was known as, was pregnant at the time of her murder. Oh. hmm So let's take a moment to think about this. Kendall has four bodies up in his attic, and even though it is cold out, those bodies are decomposing. Mm -hmm. The smell begins to travel throughout the home, especially as the warmer months approach. Kendall may or may not have recognized that the stench was overpowering the home, but either way, he went on a cooling off period up until November of 1997. So about nine months or so. He got back on the horse and killed Mary Healy, Giacone. I know I said that wrong. Giacacone. Giacacone. Italian. Yeah. It looks like it could be a pasta last name. Mm. Okay. And stashed her body with the rest. He then went on another cooling off period up until June of 1998. It was then he killed Sandra Jean French, who was a mother of three children. She had been working on the streets to try and get by. And I hate when I hear about that kind of stuff, like when she's got kids at home. Yeah. And she's just doing anything she can to make money. And probably it wasn't something that she did often or a lot or wasn't right. going to keep I mean, it. I don't it's know just too like much. to make there's ends like meet. There's like nothing on these victims because of the mean sex workers and there's yeah. not a whole lot to go off of. But that's, I like to think that, that she was doing what she had to do to, to raise her children. Absolutely. So, and that's all, yeah. I don't want to think anything I, else. I like to think that's probably what a lot of mm-hmm. them were I mean, doing. it was the 90s. Yeah. So. In all, I like how we always say stuff like that about the decades. Like Every decade yeah. is like, well, that was, was the 2000s. The 70s. It was, it was the, the 70s. <laughs> right. Yeah. In August of 1998, Kendall picked up 34-year-old Audrey Puglius. Puglius? Puglius. Mm. Puglius sounds nice. We'll yeah. Well, at the home, he killed her as well. And this time, he put the body in the basement. So I don't know if he was running out of room or he was just trying to change it up a little bit. But he did. Well, you would think that the bodies would stay... Better in the basement. You would have thought. I don't you know. You would have thought. I don't know what this guy was saying. I don't know. I was in an attic yesterday that was really cold, though. Because it's cold, cold outside. Out. Yeah. So I don't know. But yeah. He got right back out on the streets days later and took the life of 25-year-old Katina Newmaster, who also, and he also put her body in the basement. So we've got two bodies in the basement. Katina would end up being Kendall's eighth and last homicide victim, but not because he got a clean conscience and t- turned himself in. 
No. Instead, he wasted no time getting back out there during the month of August and went after his ninth victim. At this point, the police were talking with many sex workers about who was last seen with the women and if there were any clients that there were issues with. They had zeroed in on an area of Poughkeepsie that the women seemed to be going missing from. On September 1st, 1998, Detectives Skill Manane, Manane, God, I'm pulling a molly today. And just, you have the names. I do. Man, yeah. Manane and Bob McCready were in the area handing out flyers when a woman came running up to them, exclaiming that another woman had been assaulted. When they found the woman, she pointed the finger right at Kendall Francois, who had happened to be a regular customer of hers for years. Since he was already on their radar, they obtained a search warrant of his home, and even though they were looking for missing women, they couldn't believe what they had found when entering. First of all, it was littered with garbage, and upon entry, you had to be a complete idiot not to know something was dead inside, let alone eight bodies. The stench was so strong that it was very clear as to why Kendall had earned the name Stinky. That's really gross. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a walking corpse. Yeah. He, it wouldn't take long before law enforcement found the makeshift cemetery that was 99 Fulton Avenue in Poughkeepsie and charged Kendall with eight counts of murder. So something to note about this is to really think about how badly that house must have stunk. Not that I'm someone who's actually smelled a de- decomposing body, nor do I ever want to, but I have heard and read many accounts from law enforcement that it's a very distinct and disgusting smell. Yeah. So imagine living with that for almost two years. No. No, thank you. And here's a bomb for you. No. He lived in this house with his parents and his sister. No. Yeah. I swear. That's what I said. No, thank you. When his mom questioned the smells, she believed her son when he said there was a dead raccoon in the attic. Just one dead raccoon. Just two years. And let's leave it. Two years. And I imagine it probably continued to like get worse because he was stacking up the bodies one by one after a while there. So, and like no one thought to go check it. No. Yeah. They just dealt with it. And no one ever looked in the attic. Guess not. Or the basement. No one ever went there. No one ever questioned the fact that there was like ungodly smells. coming, And or that they like what family members don't ever go in those parts of the house ever for two years. It's I don't know. And this is just their recounts. Maybe they did know about it. and They were just playing dumb. I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. feel like that if my son were stashing um, sex workers in the attic, I'd probably be like, son, please don't do that. I feel I feel <laughs> like I would run out of there yeah. and r- continue running. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. And call the, call the police. But it's like, I wonder what, like, if their peers were like, hey, hi, um, thanks for coming to church today. You smell really bad. Well, yeah, they had to smell too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like stinky one, stinky two, and stinky three. It's a stink family. Aw, that's cute. In October of 1998, the DA suggested the death penalty for Kendall Francois, but with an agreement to plea guilty, he received life in prison on all eight counts of murder. It had come out in 2000 that Kendall had been diagnosed with HIV, which he contracted from one of his victims. Kendall was sent to Attica Correctional Facility, where he remained until his death on September 11th, 2014, at the age of 43. Huh. Right? Eh. Oh, oh well. 
So Kendall wound up serving 16 years of his life in prison, and during this time, it turns out a reporter would become pretty much obsessed with his story. This was kind of like a a turn when I was researching. I was like, wait, what? This, this It's not over? He died. Like, why is... Yeah. Like, there was more to this. It's kind of crazy. So Claudia Rowe was a New York Times journalist who heard the case of the Poughkeepsie killer and began writing him letters in jail. She said initially she felt a connection to him because of their upbringings, which is funny to me because their upbringings are very different. Yeah. Kendall was described as not having an abusive home or surrounded by drugs or alcohol, but he was isolated. Claudia also felt isolated growing up and would lash out and make bad decisions in her early years. But the thing is, is she grew up with a very rich background, like family and their family had money and everything. So it's fine. I understand being isolated, but I don't necessarily understand the connection she had with him. Yeah. And I just, I mean, that's fine if she has one. I'm not questioning that or whatever. I just don't understand it. Right. But that's fine. You connect with who you connect with. It is what it is. Claudia, um, sorry, um, Claudia wrote him, but his, uh, for her first reply from him didn't go necessarily as she had hoped. He responded with a letter asking for the following. All right, here's what he said. Okay. I want to know about your hometown, childhood house, elementary school and high school, up through college, your first car, your first kiss, the dress you wore under your graduation gown. I want to know the first time, if ever, you gave a guy a blowjob. The first time you had intercourse. The last time. People you hate at work. Affairs. When, if ever, you dyed your hair. The types of computers you have. That was it. Is that not the most random thing you've ever heard? I like types of computers. I know. Just one more thing. Um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, a type of computer. Have you dyed your hair? Also, when did you give a blowjob? Yeah. What? So she does say that she ignores those questions and he continues to like press them. But eventually it just kind of is like whatever. But it's so random. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I called it a little weirdness mixed in with some dirty talk. Yeah. Like he's like, maybe if I throw those in in the middle, she'll just like. Yeah. Like not notice them and just answer. Yeah. 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 So how um, over time they began to communicate regularly. Reg- you know I hate that word. Do it though. I need to stop. But just do it, it regularly. Yeah, but you wrote it. I know, but why do I keep writing it? I can't challenging say that yourself. Word. They came out often. Um, yeah, so they would uh, communicate often, and Kendall felt that they had someone, and Kendall felt that he had someone he could trust. Uh huh. Not right away, of course, but as more letters came between them. Claudia began to feel that way as well. Um, she felt they were learning from one another. She thought that he brought things to the table that she never thought of, questioned, things like that. I mean, he's no dummy. He was an educated man. So, sure, that makes sense. In the sense you're just talking to another human being with a with an educated background. So, okay. So she details all of her letters and talks with him in her book called The Spider and the Fly, which was released in 2014. Huh. So there, if you are interested in checking out that book, it is. The, it's out there. It's out there. So Claudia wasn't the only person who wrote letters and communicated with Kendall while he was in jail. He also shared letters with a 33 year old Poughkeepsie woman named Christina Sharp. She had initially met him when she was 17 and serving jail time for an assault. Her cell was above his and they would communicate through the ventilation system and then soon began writing letters. 
After she was released, they stopped writing, but later in life, she learned about his arrests for murder. And she reached out to him to find out why. Now, one thing to keep in mind is, I don't know why he was in jail. I couldn't find his past criminal record, but I'm guessing hmm. since he was aggressive towards sex workers Probably for years, he might have gotten... or something. Exactly. Yeah. Their letters detailed how he was sorry for the things he had done in his life, but certainly not for killing his victims. He felt they deserved to die. However, he never gave a clear reason as to why. Some speculate it is because he contracted the HIV from one of the sex workers in 1995, which would explain why he began killing them in 1996. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But he never gives a clear reason as to why he would target sex workers. A criminologist and lawyer that teaches at Western Connecticut State University by the name of Casey Jordan corresponded with Kendall for three years to gather information about who he was and why he did what he did. During this time, he states that Kendall said his only mistake was confessing to the crimes. He thinks that if he wouldn't have done so, he would have gotten away with it. Uh, (laughs) not so sure. Yeah, I don't, I think that. I think the bodies in your house house kind kind of of ties you to it. Yeah, probably. But because he confessed to doing it, that's the only reason. Okay, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. Another person that visited him in prison was actually the mother of one of his victims, Marguerite Marsh. Her daughter, Kathy, was his fourth victim and was the one who was pregnant at the time. No. Marguerite had hoped he would apologize for what he had done, but he refused. Yeah. So that's sad. Most of Kendall's jail time was spent on the honor block at Attica Correctional Facility. This was a block reserved for the best behaved inmates. This block offered bigger cells, which was good when you're as big as this guy. He needed it. Right? Better food and more time out of the cells. Kendall was known to take pride in writing his letters with neat penmanship and checking his spelling before sending out his letters. He was polite and detailed, which is why it seemed hard to believe that he could be a serial killer. But he was. Yeah. He definitely doesn't fit the the scope of a serial killer in any way, shape, or form. And that's why this criminologist wanted to study him. Because he's yeah. like, where did this come from? It seems like there's a lot of people that had correspondence with him. Well, yeah. Which so is interesting. Well, Poughkeepsie, you know, is a small area. So having a serial killer was shocking to that yeah. area. So I think a lot of people were just captivated by the fact that this guy just lived in Poughkeepsie, worked at a school, and for years just murdered and kept the bodies of these women. Yeah. It's just nuts. And then not to have any remorse. Yeah. Just as like, yeah, we did yep, it. That did it. Yeah. yeah. So the house that Kendall Francois kept the body, eight bodies in. So you can just imagine what it looked like. The address is 99 Fulton Avenue in Poughkeepsie, New York. It is a three bedroom, one and a half bath, one car, detached garage, two stories with about 1,600 square feet. It was originally built in 1920, but renovated in 1950. And I'm sure since then, it's probably seen a few remodels as well. I think that house probably should have been torn down. Yeah. Well, wait to hear the sales history. So in January 29th, I'm sorry, January 29th, 1975, the home sold for the first time on the market for $11,500. So I wasn't able to find clear details on if it was sold directly to the Francois family or if they were renting it. But regardless, the Francois family moves into the home at some point before it's sold next, okay? So I don't, they're in, I'm not sure if it was sent to them or not, because I could not access the names of the people in the tax records back in 1975. So in March 15th, 1999, now this is only, only six months after the bodies were discovered in the home, 
The bodies had been in there for two years and the house was completely trashed. It sold for $14,500. So about $3,000 more than what it was worth in 1975. Just not very good. No. So obviously this murder, these murderers, played a huge factor into this. Oh, yeah. Which is all about how and why I wanted to start this podcast. Because I find that so interesting that when a public murder like this kind of happens, what it does to the value of the home. Right yeah. here. This is it. This is why we do this. Yeah. Okay, I got real excited about that. Yeah, got, got real excited. I did. So other homes on that street were selling for about 100K at higher at the time of this sale. So it gives you an idea of what the comps were, and it sold for 14000 compared to the other ones that were going for about $100,000. Yeah. And most of them were assessed around $80,000 at that point. So it's just, it's crazy. So on December 30th, 1999, the home is listed again for an undisclosed amount because it was removed from the market right away. Not sure why, but I do see this often. It very well could have been that it had a home inspection done and it didn't go well and they had to make some repairs and they had to take it off. But it it just shows that it was removed from the, mar- from the market. So on April 14th, 2000, the home is sold for 105000 And I assume that it probably had been flipped. Yeah. For the price tag that it was bought for. Oh, yeah. January 17th, 2003, it was sold again for 169800 which is in line with the market. So it sounds like the house has made a comeback at this point. Yeah. October 13th, 2006, it sold for the last time for 199500 which was the time when people were overpaying for their properties and then eventually the market crashed. However, since it hasn't sold since then, I'm sure these folks are probably sitting just fine. Yeah. In today's market, the home is worth $318,640, which is 119000 up since it was last sold. But due to market fluctuation, it's down to it's down 16000 from last quarter, which is normal for this time of year. If you find the case of Kendall Francois interesting to you, you can check out Claudia Rose's book, The Spider and the Fly, and you can also watch the 2007 movie, the Poughkeepsie Tapes, which is based on the story of the serial killer, Kendall, Kendall Francois. The end. The. I just stopped. The end. And done. <laughs> Literally, that's what I wrote. I'm like, the end. I guess, <laughs> I think what happened was is I had typed all that out and I was like, did so much research on the house and everything. You did. That was a lot of research on the house. I, I was did. like, geez. Then I think I got to the end of it and I'm like, the end. Because I've never typed the end before. So yeah. actually, I was just like, I'm done. Done. But yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. That's uh that's the story of uh the Poughkeepsie killer. He is an interesting guy. It is. And I I do want to read her book because I want to find out more about her connection with him and why she felt that and why I feel I wa- like her saying that she has a connection is very strange. Yeah. I think that she I think connection is a weird word. I think fascination is yeah. a better well, word. Well, she does say to herself she was like, "Yeah, I became obsessed with it." Right. And I didn't I did leave this out, but I did read somewhere that she went to go visit him one day and he had like put they like touched hands or whatever and he ended up like banging it on the table so he had this weird way of from what i can understand of being this very polite nice guy and then being just weird yeah so there's just yeah it's very interesting and he died so young he didn't die of his hiv either no um no he just died of like natural causes so Hmm. so that was you know but he was so young to you know and I, i wish Sometimes they wouldn't die so young because it's like, yeah. I want to learn more about them. And I get that why that's why people want it. We're like, 
this criminologist and everybody was trying to find out more about him because what a weird case. An educated yeah. guy from a decent family, serial, serial killer, you know, and his race. Most serial killers are white. Yeah. He That's very true, he too. Was, yeah. So it's just a very, it is an interesting case. And it was yeah. in Poughkeepsie. And Poughkeepsie. So that's yeah. my story and i'm sticking to it there it is uh thanks for listening everyone i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you enjoyed my poop story Ooh, that too yeah more like, stink my boss this, like, this whole my boss has listened to this too <laughs> this whole one was just full of stink <laughs> yep so but be sure to follow us on facebook instagram and email us at home is where the murder is at gmail.com. Send us a letter. Yeah. No, don't. Send us a letter. There's no nowhere um, to send it. You can check out our website, home is where the murder is.com. Yep. And again, don't forget to reach out to us if you need to buy or sell real estate. We'll help you. We would be happy to. Yeah. So have a great week, everyone. Thank you. Hey, Molly. Hey, Robin. What's up? Them darn interest rates. That's what's up. <laughs> you ain't kidding. My neighbor's sister's roommate from college has a father who bought a house in 1984, and he says now is a terrible time to buy. Really? Wow. Talk about not knowing what you're talking about. I'd rather buy a house now with a higher interest rate and refinance when the rates drop. Once the rates are low, everyone and their brother will be trying to buy again. And let's face it, we already have super low inventory. Who wants to be in competition with 30 other buyers every time they find a house they like? <laughs> not me. That's a good point, Robin. Not to mention when interest rates are low, people overpay for their houses. Sure, some folks are sitting on a 2% interest rate, but ask them how much they paid over list to secure that house. Better hope you don't have to sell because you won't be making that money back. Nope. So contrary to what friends and family may say about buying and selling real estate, they don't know the market the way the experts do. So... Do yourself a favor and listen to the experts. Yeah, like Aaron Schmitz with Epic Mortgage. Aaron is a licensed Wisconsin mortgage lender with many years experience. And if you're not in Wisconsin, don't worry about it. He can help point you in the direction of an amazing lending partner in your area. That's right. And if you're looking to get in touch with Aaron, you can find his contact information in our show notes on our social media, and at www.yourepiclender.com. And don't forget, if you are looking to buy or sell, your first step should be reaching out to your favorite podcast host, us, Molly and Robin. Yeah, Molly, great point. Folks, we have a database of agents ready to help you all over the world. That's right, the world. So if you are ready to take that leap into homeownership or are ready to sell and start a new chapter, be sure to reach out to us. You can find our contact information on all our social media, in the show notes, or by emailing us at homeiswherethemurderis at gmail.com. Happy house hunting!